Hello and good morning. It's Friday, September 14th, 2018, which makes it iPhone day. I'm assuming many of you were up till midnight last night here in California time anyway, frantically pressing refresh, refresh, refresh until your finger fell off or until you finally managed to place your order for that highly coveted iPhone XS or XS Max or Apple Watch Series 4, whichever came first. Yeah, embarrassingly, I was one of those fanboys. My wife and I did the same thing. I think I may have actually been the first to publicly share on Twitter on hashtag Apple Store that I managed to place my order within just a minute or two of the Apple Store going live. Right. Anyway, this has absolutely nothing to do at all with autonomous cars, so let's dive in. Today, Uber's back in the autonomous car game. Volkswagen pushes for autonomous standards. And some more people speak out against an autonomous future. And they're wrong. All this right now. Well, it's Friday, which, besides being Friday, is also Friday Poll Day here on Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue. And today's question is, when do you think we'll see the first autonomous vehicle-only lanes or roads on public roads or freeways? Um, To be super clear, I'm just asking about this idea that in the same way we've got you know, dedicated carpool lanes, for instance, that will eventually start to see the gradual rollout, the adoption of autonomous cars start with dedicated lanes on certain roads and freeways. Um, Anyway, so the answer choices are A, in about five years, B, in about 10 years, C, in about 15 years, or D, not within 20 years. Um, I guess this particular question is kind of really uh, interesting a lot of folks because I've only just poll up on Twitter, and it's already getting some votes. So anyway, head on over to Autonomous Hogue on Twitter. If you aren't following it yet, please do. Cast your vote. I'll report back on Monday to let you know what the world thinks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so to kick things off today, let's talk about Uber, because obviously Uber has had a rather circuitous couple of uh, months and years. Um, So things are going rather swimmingly, if you put aside some of the sort of controversial news uh, we'd heard in the past. For instance, you know, Uber's starting to test its Volvo XC90 vehicles on the streets of San Francisco without proper permits, running a red light, and so on. And then, of course, they had the tragic... uh, accident, killing a pedestrian in Tempe, Arizona earlier this year, and things sort of spiraled downhill from there. Because, of course, we humans are curiously perfectly all right with humans killing humans. We're not so okay with computers killing humans. Um, I guess, really, to air is human after all, and we're just okay with that. Well, since this time, we've learned that Uber has gone ahead and kind of done a few about faces, namely, as we reported several episodes back, episode 48, um, not only did Uber pull out of the self-driving trucking business altogether, but um, it's actually also removed all testing from public roads to the singular location of Pittsburgh, 
in Philadelphia, where the humans are still very much in control indeed. So this seems to be really more of a kind of human-operated self-driving testing, as it were, whatever that means entirely. I'm not sure. I'm guessing it means the humans are driving the cars, but the sensors and LIDAR and so forth, the entire autonomous kit is still doing its job sort of scanning the world around so they can improve the systems, but it's still the humans who are controlling the cars after all. Um, but also we reported in episode 48 that Toyota, meanwhile, had invested $500 million in Uber's autonomous car tech. It turns out that Toyota uh, basically wanted to install Uber's technology into Toyota's cars going forward. This, of course, somewhat, mm, I was going to say interesting, but also a little surprising considering that Uber's generally been viewed as kind of lagging a bit behind competitors, not least of which now that it's kind of taking a back step, as it were. Um, so, so, so anyway, that's, that's, I mean, on the one hand, it's a little surprising. On the other hand, it's obviously quite good for Uber. Now, though, however, in kind of the midst of this uncertainty, kind of what's Uber up to? What are they doing? What happens next? We learn the breaking news that, well, Uber's now just invested $150 million in Toronto um, on an engineering department it set up there uh, at the University of Toronto with whom it's collaborating uh, to work, on, of course, on its ongoing development of autonomous cars. So this then is really kind of a, um, a real solid endorsement, real solid evidence that Uber is, after all, really not um, stalling uh, on autonomous car development at all. And in fact, it's pushing forward quite strongly indeed. So... Let's see here. Uh, what kind of details have we got? Well, uh, not much more than what I've just said, really, uh, other than the fact that the specific um, uh, person at University of Toronto with whom Uber is working is Professor Raquel Urtasun. Uh, excuse me if I've mispronounced that name, uh, Professor. Um, but in any event, it looks like Uber will continue to push forward in a very big way. They're expecting to hire hundreds of new employees. This then should increase its overall employee count in Toronto in excess of 500. So, I don't know. Um, I, I think this is really great. I think I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm quite certain that I said in previous episodes that I really didn't believe this was kind of going to be a real long stall for Uber at all. I was really quite convinced that they'd really get back in the game quite quickly. Uh, it just wouldn't make sense. This, you know, I still maintain that their entire future is really hinging on autonomy, uh, as is really any car in the automotive or any company in the automotive space. So uh, I'm not really surprised by this development. I mean, I guess I'm a little pleasantly surprised it occurred so quickly in light of the recent news that they were kind of taking a step back. But, um, you know, obviously this is, I think, uh, obviously great and necessary next step. So I will bring more about this as I learn it in the coming weeks and months ahead. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that if you enjoy this podcast on iTunes Podcasts, that you don't forget to leave a five-star rating and optimally a written review as well. Please don't assume that everybody else does this, because I can assure you they don't. And I very much rely on and appreciate any feedback and ratings you leave me, because that's how I improve the show and ensure its continued future success. So head on over. I promise to be here when you get back. Thank you so much. So in February of 2017, I'd written an article titled Avris, the U.S. Department of Transportation's bold initiative to upgrade roads for self-driving cars. And in this article, I put forth the totally fictitious notion that the U.S. Department of Transportation had rolled out a set of proposals, rules, and regulations called, well, Avris, um, a rather clever acronym, I should say, standing for 
Autonomous Vehicle Road Improvement and Standardization. Now, the idea was, I thought, pretty logical, right? So if you look back to the early 20th century, obviously regulations put forth that roads had to no longer be dirt, rocky, pebbly things, but rather nice, smooth, paved bits of tarmac. Uh, This, of course, to make it easier for the automobile to kind of negotiate streets, roads, boulevards, and cities generally. So the idea I had was that, you know, going forward to make it easier for autonomous cars, obviously one of the big challenges is indeed reading road surfaces, signage, including and especially in inclement weather in certain parts of the world, not quite so blessed as California. Sorry, couldn't resist. Um, In any event, uh, you know, and, and this turns out that this idea, this this idea of kind of standardizing and improving roads and infrastructure generally, um, to make it a bit easier for autonomous cars to kind of blend in, isn't really that far fetched because that's kind of the whole point behind so called vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure initiatives. Well, it turns out there's another angle to all this, a very real need for standardization also in a legal sense. Now, I know as soon as I've said that, a lot of you are rolling your eyes saying, well, yeah, no kidding. And and I agree. Uh, obviously, yeah, no kidding. There needs to be some real standardization. But this, this, this kind of push for legal standardization, it's not quite perhaps the angle you have in mind, um, nor I for that matter. It turns out that Volkswagen is pushing in Europe um, for autonomous car makers to um, kind of get together and to collectively form a sort of um, kind of an autonomous car alliance, as it were, to kind of establish standards um, to ensure that everyone's using the same kit, to ensure that, you know, nobody can be blamed for using what's otherwise recognized and accepted as kind of the state of the art, the status quo, the, you know, industry-approved technology so that no one can be blamed if anything should go wrong and bits of metal and human get all twisted together. So really what this is about then is kind of suggesting that we bring to the automotive world, and I say automotive, I mean the autonomous car world, um, really what we've seen in, say, the aviation world. Here I go again talking about aviation because, again, as I've said often, I think we can learn a lot from the aviation industry. Now, Um, For those of you not fully acquainted with how things work, there are obviously tons and tons of standardization, as you can imagine. Everything from the type and number of backup systems to the type of sort of onboard avionic systems to flight computer systems, you know, the the, the, the ways in which certain uh, electronic flight bags, so to speak, meaning iPads rather than, say, bags full of papers, um, those had to be properly sort of approved and, you know, passed regulation to be entered into the cockpit uh, without any fear of interrupting the systems of the airplane. So lots and lots of regulation standardization had to be rolled out, had to be implemented in order to ensure safety for obviously the flight crew, but of course the passengers being transported every day. So the idea behind all this was just to sort of say, hey, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a really rigorous vetting process to make sure that anything and everything on an aircraft is properly sort of, you know, passing this regulation so that in the event anything goes wrong, we can first of all make sure, did the aircraft and the flight crew adhere to these regulations? And if so, well, they can't be faulted for that, right? And so it's the same idea then with autonomous cars where, and I have to say, Volkswagen has a, you know, they've kind of got a point here, right? So if, if indeed there were an alliance put together by the automakers of the world, which established these sets of regulations, this, I have to say, I mean, maybe I need to think about it further, but this seems a genuinely great idea. Um, I don't really 
see any issue with it. And I think it absolutely should occur. I think another analogy besides aviation that comes to mind, speaking of alliances, is obviously IEEE, the engineering alliance, right? These are the, this is the kind of consortium, which um, kind of establishes all the various standards. For example, the Wi-Fi standards, 802.11, or was it B, G, N, A, now it's 802.11 AC, I guess. Um, you know, the USB standards, uh, all the various technological standards of the world that we take for granted every day, these are established standardized and regulated by the IEEE consortium, right? And so that's kind of the idea here for autonomous cars. Put together an alliance, standardize the kit, and this way, you know, everybody kind of knows what's what. Nobody gets blamed unfairly when things go wrong. Now, obviously, I know what you're thinking. Isn't this going to kind of limit innovation, limit kind of, and, and indeed perhaps impede, sort of slow down the rollout of autonomous cars? Um, I don't know. I don't think so uh for a couple of reasons and again i gotta think about this more but again we look to the rollout of computers generally and you know standards were kind of put in place pretty early on to begin with and it's not like standards can't flex and evolve over time anyway right i mean certainly we went from those of you old enough to remember we went from serial and parallel ports to usb ports we went from usb uh, you know, USB 1, the USB 2, now we've got USB 3. These are all standards, but they evolve. It doesn't mean it's like etched in stone or anything, right? And certainly the same with aviation. Things improve over time. Um, you know, now we're moving away from radar navigation little by little to GPS navigation, right? So this isn't about hindering progress. I think rather it's going to have the pleasantly surprising opposite effect of kind of... Um, you know, expediting progress, as it were. I, I think this is actually a really, really good idea. Uh, I, th- I think what's going to happen then is that we're going to see the best bits of technology get agreed upon by the members of any such alliance that gets put together, and these then become the standard. Now, there is one really sort of mm, fly in the ointment here, and that's uh, Tesla, right? So for those of you keeping a close watch, Tesla tends to do things a bit differently. So Elon Musk really not too keen on LiDAR generally. Rather, he's seen fit to sort of kit out all Teslas with just visual and infrared cameras. So he doesn't believe, and of course, radar, sonar, that kind of thing. He doesn't really see the need. He just simply doesn't think that there is a need for LiDAR generally, um, that Radar, sonar, and visual and infrared cameras are improving at such an exponential rate, and they're so much cheaper anyway, and will be for the foreseeable future, Uh, never mind the gradual rollout of very expensive but uh, promising solid-state LiDAR, rather than the big, cumbersome, rotating bits of LiDAR. Um, So yeah, he just really doesn't see that's a thing. So so here's what's a bit concerning then, right, is that if we have the standardization, I can imagine a world where the standards say, nope, sorry, if you're going to have an autonomous car, it's got to have LiDAR end of story. That would obviously disqualify Tesla. Now, as I've said that out loud, I guess what I just said was a bit silly. Obviously, no such standardized standardization body would ever do such a thing as to disqualify Tesla. That, that just doesn't make any sense. So I suppose probably what would happen is it would be sort of like, all right, you've got to have LiDAR. If you don't have LiDAR, then you need to have visual cameras, infrared, sonar, and radar that meet a certain standard of performance. Obviously, Tesla would satisfy that standard. In fact, they would set the bar because of course they would. I guess I'm kind of talking in circles here, but uh, the net net is, um, I think this is a really great idea. I'll have more news on this as I get it. It's the first I've heard of it. Uh, obviously, please chime in, tweet me on Twitter at Autonomous Hoag, send me feedback through the website, reach out to me on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. Let me know what you think about all this, what you think it's going to have, what kind of an effect it'll have on this uh, rollout, this evolution, and overall development of autonomous car tech generally going forward. Mm-hmm.
Hey, did you know that there's a website for this show now? It's at markhogue.com. It's a great place to find show notes and summaries, but most importantly, I think you'll really enjoy in the comment section for each episode's post, well, you can comment and debate to your heart's content with one another because I know there's a lot to discuss about autonomous cars. There's lots of differing views. So head on over to markhogue.com, subscribe, and start commenting and debating away to your heart's content. I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Autonomous Hogue. Say it with me now, A-U-T-O-N-O-M-O-U-S-H-O-A-G. Boom. All right, so to close out today's episode, and indeed the week, uh, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here, I'm afraid, because I've stumbled across two more articles that really seem determined to keep society buried firmly in the past because these two articles again kind of are really speaking out against autonomous cars and their future generally and really attempting to kind of undermine the very real value uh and what they offer society as a whole now as an aside i'm not suggesting autonomous cars including and especially their gradual adoption and deployment you know i'm not pretending for a moment this is going to be free of trouble and great difficulty uh, and indeed occasional tragedy. But what I am suggesting is that this is a really interim period and that it's really important we keep sight of kind of the end game, right? So what's the end goal here? Where are things headed? And how much better will society be once autonomous cars are really just sort of commonplace in the same way that once upon a time, the automobile was not a common thing at all. Rather, horses uh, roaming the streets were, right? And then little by little, 30, 40 years later, well, they were suddenly... That was just the way things were. And so it's going to be with autonomous cars in due time. To be fair, these articles, at least one of them in particular, isn't suggesting that autonomous cars aren't going to be a thing in the standard at some point. The criticism is that kind of we've all gotten ahead of ourselves, including and especially the companies pushing autonomous cars, that really they're not almost here yet. And it's going to be much, much more time until they become a reality uh, of everyday life. Right. That's enough of the preamble. Let me kind of dive in and share with you what these articles are. All right, so this first article is over on driverlessrevolution.blogspot.com. The title is AVs, not equal sign, fulfilling every hope and dream for better transit, shared use utopias, and livable cities. And so the article is broken down into four kind of main arguments, each of which is prefaced by the following header, which reads, AVs, autonomous vehicles, do not equal bold underlined in italic, not. AVs do not equal, and then four points here. I'm going to go through them uh, in order. First of all, AVs do not equal reliable, convenient, frequent, affordable, and or on-demand transportation anywhere and everywhere. Um, I'm not really even sure what this claim means. So the explanation goes on to say that they're going to cost money to produce, maintain, and repair. They're not going to be free. So whether we stick with privately owned vehicles or shared use transit services, we still have to invest resources. And by the way, if we want the kind of quality transit enjoyed in major cities, um, then more than wishful thinking will be required. I, I have no idea what this even means. Obviously, AVs are going to cost money to produce and to... um well, mostly just to produce, they're not going to require much money to maintain and repair, especially since almost all, if not all, will be fully electric. And as we know, electric vehicles take very, very little maintenance indeed. Okay, things like tires, okay, sure. Um, but even windshield wipers may not even be necessary considering that uh, 
well, it just won't be necessary. You won't need a driver to see through a rain-covered window. But anyway, let's kind of run through these real quick, right? So reliable. Will they be reliable? Well, if they're electric, yeah, they probably will be, not least of which because, as I said, not too much maintenance. And second of all, because, well... Eventually, we're going to have uh, inductive charging everywhere, so you won't even need to plug these things in. They're just going to charge by virtue of rolling uh, over the road, right? Um, are they going to be convenient? Well, yeah, of course they'll be convenient, and of course they'll be frequent. Uh, and yes, they will be affordable, because that's the nature of these. That's why we're doing all these things. And in fact, removing the human driver from the equation, that's kind of what makes it affordable in the first place. So if we look to, um, well, once again, if we look to the aviation industry, it wasn't until the 1980s I believe with the rollout of the 757 or the 767 by Boeing, um, that airlines were able to finally downsize the flight crew from three, which was a pilot, a co-pilot, and a flight engineer slash navigator, uh, to just two. And this, of course, was to cut costs. Um, well, I mean, yeah, that was the that was, that was the easy practical side effect, but also just from a technological point of view, the Increased automation of onboard systems made a flight engineer navigator simply uh, redundant and totally unnecessary. Um, anyway, more more recently now, what we're seeing is a further trend to downsizing the cabin size, uh, the cabin crew, uh, to just a single pilot, no co-pilot. Uh, putting aside any sort of social outcry and concerns for a moment, the fact is that's really where automation is leading, is that we're going to eventually end up with a one-pilot aircraft. And frankly, in the next quite a few decades, uh, with zero pilot aircraft, things will be totally automated in the skies as well. In fact, hmm, now that I think about it, that may even occur well before cars, if only because automated flying is a far simpler thing to do than automated driving. And indeed, this is why airplanes have been largely uh, automated for nearly 30 decades now. Right. Anyway, back to this article. So the next, the next point is... Um, Accessible transportation for people, well, I should start with the prefaced heading, AVs do not equal accessible transportation for people with disabilities, people with strollers, people with luggage or athletic gear, or people with grocery carts. Yeah, that's because grocery carts, first of all, are too big to fit in one of these things. And in any event, if you push a grocery cart past that yellow line, the wheels lock up. Everybody knows this. No, but seriously, though, here's the thing. Um, it is going to be a big deal for people with disabilities and, 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 and people who are you know, elderly folks who aren't able or willing to drive. I mean, there's an argument here that I just can't wrap my head around, which is that you know, what difference is it whether you've got a car driven by a human or a computer? Well, it's a big difference. First of all, not having the human driver, once again, is going to keep costs down. And second of all, it means that you're going to be able to get a car much more easily, more quickly, because there's going to be more of them because you're not going to have a human driver, so you're not going to be driver limited. Um, yeah, I just this this just doesn't compute. I, I really don't know what the point of this article is. Anyway, going on then, um, AVs do not equal increasing and improving rural transportation options. So this is something I can kind of get behind. Um, initially, I agree. I think AVs are really so. So I think the the, the real kind of um, how shall I say? I, I think extreme rural uh, parts of cities and countries. I agree. I think those are going to be tapped last. Last of all, by AVs. I mean, people are just not going to, you know, we're just not going to see AV saturation into the really rural parts of society. Um, so I agree with that. Not least of which, because when you're in the middle of nowhere, frankly, you're going to want your own vehicle. You're going to want your own pickup truck if you're on a farm. It's just the way it is. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, I don't dis- disagree with it um, with respect to the near term. I-, I do disagree with it for the long term because I think that once again, 
we're going to see an evolution and adoption of autonomous vehicles exactly the way we saw with horses. Um, conventionally driven, human-driven cars are never going to be, they're, they're never going to go away in, in the same way that horses haven't gone away, but they are going to be deeply, heavily restricted. You're not going to be able to, you know, today you can't take a horse on the 405 freeway in LA or on the A8 through Germany or France, say, but, but you can certainly enjoy a horse, say, in your big private, um, I don't know, meadow, hunting meadow, maybe outside of London somewhere. Um, you know, so, so, so it's going to be the same thing with cars. You're still going to be able to have your own car, just not on most places. So I just, yeah, I, I just don't buy this argument either. Sorry. Um, and finally, uh, let's see, AVs do not equal more livable cities. Um, but but they do, and, and they will. I mean, the argument here is that we're going to have more cars on the road, and a lot of them are going to be empty. I mean, it's not stated explicitly, but it's implied. Uh, we're going to have more cars, going to have more gridlock. And by the way, this segments into the other article I want to discuss. Um, so again, some truth here, some, some legitimate points made that indeed we've really got to focus more on better pedestrian infrastructure, biking access, public spaces. I agree with all of that. And I also agree that if we don't have proper regulation um, for autonomous cars, there will be too many. And ironically, it will lead to greater traffic gridlock and actually increased travel times. Indeed, a recent study out of Boston suggested that if things stay as they are, we're going to have an increase of something like 5 6 7% travel times. Yeah, so that's not the desired outcome. Um, this then leads to the three pillars of autonomy, which we've discussed ad nauseum, as put forth by Professor Sperling from UC Davis, um, really the guy in the world of uh kind of mobility and urban planning, uh, who says that you really need three, these three pillars, right? You need autonomy, you need electrification, and of course you need what he calls pooling, otherwise car sharing. So I don't know. I can't really get behind this article at all. It's kind of bugging me, as you can tell. But let's dive into the next article real quick. All right, so I'm going to kind of run through this quickly because I just realized we're going way over time. Sorry about that. Um, this article here is uh, over on Medium by one Paris Marx. The title is Self-Driving Cars Are Not the Future. We've been sold a lie, he says. Autonomous tech isn't ready and our cities can't handle more metal boxes. Um, I'd actually encourage you to read the article. It's quite well written. Uh, I disagree with a lot of it. Um, but I want to focus on the singular point that uh, is this. As I just mentioned a moment ago, it is true that autonomous cars, if they're rolled out without proper regulation, we are going to end up with more traffic, more gridlock, and that's not the correct solution. However, to suggest that we therefore don't push harder for autonomous cars and the proper regulation they require, and if we sort of don't try to expedite the rollout sooner rather than later, we're still going to be suffering the loss of well, the equivalent of a 9-11 number of lives every single month here in the U.S. alone. That's 3,000 people per month. That's nearly 40,000 people per year dying due to human error. 98% of accidents caused by human error here in the U.S. alone every single year. So the way I see it is, even if all these other uh, arguments about autonomous cars are correct, and I think that many of them certainly have merit. I think most of them do not. Um, you know, even if we accept these other arguments as having sufficient merit, um, f f who cares? Why don't we just focus on the safety issue? I mean, again, I'm a, for those of you who have not listened to this show since the earliest days back in February, um, just as a reminder uh, and to let you know, I am, I'm totally a car guy. I mean, I, I love cars. I love driving. My dad used to race competitively. He's got a first-place trophy 
that he earned while uh, racing a Lotus Super 7. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so I love cars. But, but as they say, ignorance is bliss. And, and my point is, is that because I love cars so much, because I'm so into them, because I've done track days, because I've also studied years of physics and engineering in school, and I am just a complete physics and science nerd. I mean, all these things kind of work together to make me intimately aware of, at a conscious, um, at a very conscious level, every day that I'm in a car, driving a car, just how absolutely mind-blowingly dangerous driving a car really is. I mean, as most of you, if not all of you know, getting in a car every day is almost always the most dangerous thing that any of us do at any point in our lives. In fact, I realized not too long ago that the, it turns out the safest thing you can do, the safest place you can be within Earth's atmosphere is inside of an airplane at cruising altitude. And of course, the most dangerous thing you can do is being in a car, getting to the airport. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's kind of like the argument for global warming, right? So, so for climate change, generally, people say, oh, well, you know, we don't want to, you know, we, we, either A, we don't believe in human-caused cli- climate change, or even if we do, well, we don't believe in, you know, that there's anything we can do about it or anything we should do about it. And so my counterargument to those folks is, look, I don't actually care about all the other reasons, frankly, and you don't need to care about them either. How about simply just caring about it because I want some air, which is kind of clean. I want to see a blue sky, and I want to go outside without my eyes burning and being able to breathe comfortably. All the other reasons, who, know, who, know, who knows? Who cares? If you don't want to believe that stuff, that's fine. Don't believe it. As Neil deGrasse Tyson famously says, the beautiful thing about science is that it's true whether you believe in it or not. But I'm willing to put those arguments aside and just focus on the very practical fact that I just want to have clean air. That's it. And so with autonomous cars, I don't really care if all these other things don't work or go wrong or, you know, if travel times increase by 5, 6, 7% due to increased gridlock because there's more autonomous cars on the road full of one passenger or zero passengers, as it were. I don't care because at least I know I'm going to get to my destination safely. I, just, my, I know that my wife will get to her destination safely. I know my loved ones, my family will get to their destination safely. And frankly, I'm all for it. If that's what it takes, bring it on. So, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. But as always, this is a controversial topic. Lots of differing views on this. Uh, I encourage you, as always, to write me and leave me a voicemail on the anchor.fm platform. I think a lot of you have forgotten you can do this. Um, but really, I encourage you, go to anchor.fm, find the profile for this podcast. It's anchor.fm slash autonomous cars with Mark Hogue. Um, shoot me a tweet on Twitter at autonomous Hogue. Reach out through the contact form on the website. But uh, let's discuss it. Happy to invite any of you onto the show if you'd like to talk about it live. And speaking of which, I am more than happy to welcome to the show Paris Marks himself. Paris, if you're listening to this show, if any of you know Paris uh, on Medium, on Twitter, elsewhere, LinkedIn preferably, please do reach out to him on my behalf. Let him know. I'd love to have him on this show. We'll do a nice live debate. I think it'll be a lot of fun to kind of balance ideas and uh, differing views off one another. So Paris, you've got an open invite. Let me know if you'd like to be on the show. We'll have a nice chat about this. All right, then. Well, that'll do it for today and indeed for this week. Uh, just a couple of reminders. Please don't forget to head on over to Twitter at Autonomous Hogue. Cast your vote for today's Friday poll day. Um, and 
Don't forget that you can now support this podcast with a small monthly donation. You can contribute 99 cents per month, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. You can head over, make your contribution over on the anchor.fm platform. I've got links scattered about, um, especially on the website at markhoag.com. So thank you to those of you who are already contributing. Uh, it means a lot to me. For the rest of you, I would very much welcome anything you can pitch in. And that'll do it for today. Have a wonderful rest of the day and indeed a weekend. See you back here next week, probably on Tuesday as we've usually been doing. Until then, all the best. Take care. Bye-bye.